0: In 1517, Martin Luther, which was a Saxon priest and monk, nails the 99 Theses to the door of All Saints Church and possibly other churches in Wittenberg, Germany. Um, He also sent them the 95 Theses in a letter to Albert of Brandenburg, who was the Archbishop of Mainz, all of that, on October 31st, which is why we know it as Reformation Day. So I think it's really ironic, too, that Halloween... Um, is the same day as is Reformation. Uh, really interesting. But anyway, so October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther mails these to the Archbishop of Mainz, and he also nails, we know for sure that he nailed the 95 Theses to the All Saints Church in, uh, in Wittenberg, but it's is a possibility he did that to other churches in the area as well. So, uh, these theses argued, and most of you know this stuff, and I'm just kind of review it. These theses argued That the repentance required by Christ involved a spiritual inner way of thinking and living repentance, changing how you think, rather than an external penance, which was something that you do to receive forgiveness, like confession, or a lot of people did this thing where you paid a certain amount of money to have your sins forgiven, okay? So Martin Luther said, you don't have to do anything for your sins to be forgiven, you have to have a change in how you think, repentance, okay? So... Uh, This was the greatest attack, Martin Luther's, on the religious institution since arguably the time of the early church. But the Reformation did not take place overnight. It didn't take off overnight. It wasn't, now I want you to hear this because I shared this a little bit Tuesday night, but for those of you that weren't here, this is really huge for us. Okay, It wasn't until January of 1521 that Martin Luther was excommunicated... By uh, Pope Leo X. Okay, so it wasn't until January 1521 that he was excommunicated. But then, it was in May. This is really huge to remember. This. It was in May of 1521 that the Edict of Worms condemned Luther and officially banned citizens of the Holy Holy Roman Empire. I'm reading this straight from the historical document. Um, banned citizens of the Holy Roman Empire who defended or propagated Luther's ideology. Okay? So in May of 1521, anyone who was a supporter of Luther's thinking that salvation was through faith alone, that repentance was through change alone, etc., anyone who thought that way in May of 1521 was officially banned from the Roman Empire, from the Holy Roman Empire. It's really huge. At the same time that all this was happening, Gutenberg's printing press began to spread, which meant material could be mass-produced quickly. So before Gutenberg's printing press, anything that was passed around had to be handwritten or verbally passed around. Right? Which is why, super sidetracked. But if you notice, if you read through Paul, um, if you read through the Gospels, you'll read stories, and in some of the stories... Um, the writers will say the name of the people in the stories, right? Um, But then you'll read other stories, and it'll say a woman, or it'll say, you know, a man, or a century, or whatever, and it won't specifically give their name. So there's a really awesome book by Richard Balkman called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, if you ever want to dive deeper into this. But anyway, in this book, he explains that their way of writing in Greek, um, this document you know, Holy Spirit inspired, you know, all that stuff. That's great. But this is a historical document. This is telling us something that has happened, the Bible, okay? So all of these writings are historical. So the reason that they're writing with certain names in certain places and certain names omitted in certain places is because the way that a historical document was passed around back in the day that was legitimate, it required eyewitnesses, okay? So when they're writing the Gospels, if there's no eyewitness account, to say, yeah, I was there and I actually saw the multiplication of the bread and fish, then it really wasn't considered a historical account. There was no way of proving this is actual history, right? So the gospel spreading was reliant on eyewitness account, or a secondary wasn't as good, but it was it was okay, was to have somebody associated with an eyewitness. So maybe you didn't have um, the apostle John, maybe you had... Um, Uh, Irenaeus, who was the spiritual grandson of the Apostle John, whose spiritual father was discipled by John. You see what I'm saying? So, that was okay, and that was good, but it was best to have an eyewitness, so when John, or Luke, or Paul, or anybody's writing this stuff, and they put a name there, um, like Aquinas, or Aquila, Paul writes, or, you know, these different names, you can actually go to that person and say, did this happen? And they say, yes, I was there, okay? So, little sidetrack, but when, uh, when, the, when Gutenberg's printing press comes out, all of a sudden now you have the capability of taking something that would have taken a long time to mass produce, and you can mass produce it almost overnight. And so I want you to see how the Lord is working, is that the Lord is giving Martin Luther this download. At the same time, he's rearranging the business world to be able to contain and mass produce this download, Right? And at the same time, the religious system, which is the Catholics at that point, are seeing all of this take place and how it threatens their empire and they start shooting off against it. Does that sound very familiar, right? Hello, Jesus and the Pharisees. Okay, so after 1521, the Reformation took off and over the years became the leading influence in the church across the globe. We're here today because of the Reformation. 1521 was 500 years ago. To be more specific, to be more specific, this is why I told you to remember May. The Lord started us down the current revelation that we're talking about. God is love, God is light, all this stuff. If you go back and look in our message archives, you'll see the first message that I ever preached on this stuff was the first week of May. Okay? May 2021. In May of 1521, exactly 500 years before, is when religion kicked out everybody who was a supporter of this new, old revelation. Huge, okay? Exactly to the month 500 years ago. <coughs> Romans, which is really interesting, okay? Because back then, 500 years ago, the religious system banned Luther and his followers from Rome due to the threat that they posed to the religious system. Romans are also the ones that killed Jesus, Okay? Now I'm I'm gonna just just hang with me because we're gonna get into some really good stuff. But I need to hit this before we do. In her book, there's a book called The Great Emergence, okay, which is written by a lady named Phyllis Tickle, which is a funny name. Anyway, in her book, I haven't read it just to be completely honest. I've just seen um, somebody doing a lecture over the book, so I got to give you that I haven't read it. But I have seen quotes and heard people talk about it. But anyway, in this book. Uh, Phyllis Tickle uses the analogy of what she calls a 500-year rummage sale. That's what she calls it. And she uses that to describe the changes in the church over the years. Okay? So let me just break these down. The first one was in the early ADs, and that was God incarnate, God with us, Jesus. Okay? So around the beginning, the turn of BC to AD is when Jesus hits the scene. Okay? Uh, around 500 A.D., 500 years later, was the collapse of the Roman Empire, and it was the beginning of what we know as the Dark Ages. This is around 500 A.D., okay? In that time, during the Dark Ages, the church went underground with monks and nuns practicing their tradition in abbeys and convents and priories, okay? If you want to know what those are, you can go look them up later. Anyway, so that was 500 A.D., Started the Dark Ages. In uh, 1054, so around 1000 A.D., was what we call the Great East and West Schism. The word schism means splits, where the Eastern Church and the Western Church split, okay? More specifically, the uh, Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church split. So that was around uh, 1000 A.D., okay? So you see the 500-year increments. Around 1500 A.D., 1517, was Martin Luther's Reformation, Okay? So every 500 years, there is a pattern of a major shift, or maybe we would say awakening, or major change in the church. So we are now exactly 500 years since the Reformation. Okay, Because of one revelation and subsequent action by a handful, led by a man, Martin Luther, who was willing to go against the system, the entire globe has changed how they view God, or at least has been forced to see the validity of what Martin Luther was saying. Okay? Over the past 500 years. Y'all with me? I promise we're going to get into some better stuff in a second. Here, because I love this stuff, 500 years later, in the city of the Dove, in the epicenter of the pretender and unknowledgeable, and I say that, I don't mean that in any offensive way, Christianity, American South, in the middle of it, the Lord has revealed what I believe is going to spark the next 500 year tectonic shift. That the incarnation shows us that God is nothing like we've been told, but everything like we've always hoped that reconciliation was not plan b and it was not a reaction it was plan a the name dream comes from acts 217 okay which is a quote of the prophet joel and then it says this and i'm going to do it in greek it says your young men which is the greek word for youth so your youth will see visions okay the word visions horasis is the greek word which means a sight or an appearance okay so your youth will see appearances. They'll see flashes. But your old men, which is not talking about somebody old in age, okay? The, the Greek word for that is presbyteros, which sounds like a, a medicine. Uh, you take your presbyteros today. Anyway, so that's the Greek word, presbyteros. And it means, not old, it means a mature one, Having seasoned judgment, okay, it's the same word that is used for elders in the Greek Testament or in the uh, in the New Testament. Okay, so it says your youth will see appearances; it'll see flashes, but your mature ones, having seasoned judgment, will dream dreams. Now, the Greek word for dream is enupneon. Okay, that's the Greek word. And what that means is, I'm going to read it straight from the lexicon. It means something the Lord speaks at the ideal time that we're at rest for the Lord to communicate because we're at rest and undistracted. Okay. So the word dream, enupdion, right here, it means something the Lord speaks at the ideal time because we're at rest and we're undistracted. Okay. So 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 the name dream acts 217 your youth will see flashes of this but your mature ones will receive the fullness of that flash. Why? Because your mature ones know how to live at rest and undistracted. That's what that's saying. Okay? Now, we're a church that has I mean a lot of college age people or young adults, okay? And what has happened, what I've seen over the past four years, is we have as a body transitioned from the first bracket of Acts 2.17 to the second bracket of Acts 2.17. In the beginning, we saw flashes. But where we are now is we're starting to dream dreams. And it's not just like, oh, brother, I have a dream to be a big name. That's That's not what this is talking about. This is something the Lord is downloading because we're finally undistracted. You see what I'm saying? James 1 talks about this when, he, talks, when he, uh, he says, don't be double-minded. Okay? So, for the past almost four years, which this week will be four years, for the past four years, the Lord has been maturing us step-by-step for what I believe this revelation that we're in. Now, in rest and undistracted, we are spiritually announcing another 95 theses moment. Luther's initial thoughts were spot-on. Salvation is absolutely by faith alone, but in the western part of the 1500 split, all Luther knew to process those thoughts were through a western-oriented mindset, which made faith, ironically, something that you do, okay? Hang with me, hang with me, hang with me. If you need some coffee, we got some, but... Back then, Luther, remember, this is before the printing press, this is before all that stuff. It started coming out when he kind of started coming out. And I'm not talking about that kind of coming out. So, anyway, but Luther is growing up in a religious Western system with no other way of thinking otherwise. He doesn't have the Internet. He doesn't have other people saying, wait a minute, I don't think that's right. No, he just has one way of thinking. So when the Lord starts revealing, when the Holy Spirit starts revealing salvation by faith alone, Luther processes that through a Western-oriented mind, which says, even though salvation is not by works, faith is a work. I've got to have enough faith for salvation, right? So it's by faith alone, but faith is something that you achieve, according to Luther, right? Um, and even the, the quote that I read last week of Luther is when he matures in that thought, he finally starts getting around the bullseye, which eventually is when he says faith is seeing what is already there, not creating something that isn't there. Right? So, he's growing in the right direction. But, But there's this mindset, if you read Luther's commentary on Romans, which I have in my office, there is this mindset of a partial freedom from religion. Where it's like, I'm free from the, I've got to pay cash to be saved, but I'm still in this bondage of I've still got to do something to be saved. You know what I'm saying? I heard somebody say recently, uh, it's, uh, talking about it's, it's just really funny how uh, we ask people when we're evangelizing, we say, would you like to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Which means if, if you're able to make Jesus Lord of something, you must be in higher authority than him to place him in something that he is not. Would you like to make which means you're lord. Right? So would you lord like to make him lord instead? You know what I'm saying? No, he's already lord. See what I'm saying? But but even that thinking is like well it's not a works-based Yeah, it absolutely is. There's still something you've got to do to get it. There's something that you've got to do to be reconciled rather than you understanding that you are reconciled. You know what I'm saying? And so what the Lord took in seed form, he's now growing into a giant tree, which is, it is absolutely by faith alone, but faith is not something you do. Faith is a man named Jesus. Okay. Luther had no internet, no phone, until later, no printing press. It's amazing he saw what he saw. It really, it's unbelievable that he saw what he saw. But the Reformation left a lot on the table. Specifically, the entire aim of, of the, I believe, original idea that God gave Luther. It's not a new way to see a way to salvation, but a new original way to see salvation itself, which is Christ Jesus incarnate. Jesus is our rabbi. He never gives us more than we can handle, and He's always willing to take His time to get us where ultimately He wants us to go. Okay? So we needed the seemingly immature revelation from Luther about faith, because 500 years later, that has led to a true understanding of salvation and faith itself, which is Jesus. Okay? Y'all with me? Y'all good? Okay. Baxter Kruger, who I spent a long time on the phone with this week, and I I initially uh, did that to record a podcast, and I told um, Angela this morning, I was like, when I got on the phone with him, the Holy Spirit was like, this is not for a podcast, this is for you. And I didn't record it, so it's not on recording. But we talked for a long time. And uh, it's, it's kind of become like somebody that, that has really been a good shepherd for me lately. And uh, But he said, to me, he said this to me Wednesday when we talked. He said, I wish every church in America would get a big banner made and placed outside their front door that says, we know Jesus is the answer. We don't fully know what that means yet but you should come find out with us. And I was like, yes. You know what I'm saying? I, th- I think that's part of the reason why the, the, the denominational system or whatever is so stuck in its ways today is because we know Jesus is the answer, but because we haven't gone into uncharted territory, or it's been charted. It's been a long time since it's been charted. But we, in order for us to transition into what that really looks like, We're going to have to lay down all of our preconceived ideas without having a solid thing to pick up yet. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, like I said, we know Jesus is the answer, but we are right now finding out what that means. And that's okay. This is what he said to me. He said, what I would do for your church, talking about you guys. He said, what I would do is I would tell everybody in this room, which he's going to come here next year at some point, but to take a notebook and write down every single question that you have because of whatever we've been walking through. Write down every question and then close your eyes and say, Jesus, would you be my rabbi and show me the answers? You know what I'm saying? Well, how how does reconciliation fit in the Old Testament? How How does all that work? You write that thing down and you say, Jesus, I don't know how this works, but would you be my rabbi and show me? unbelievable. That's why he's way smarter than me. But anyway, so today, today we're going to kind of start this. We are not start, we've started it, but we're going to continue this path. We're we're going to on our the week of our 4-year anniversary, we're going to talk about Jesus on Reformation Day because I believe we're on the cusp of what history will look back on and call the next 500-year shift. And I might be the only one, but I really believe this. Of course, Martin Luther had had predecessors. I mean, there were people that that stirred the pot that Martin Luther exploded. It wasn't just him, right? And so just like us, it's not like we've stumbled upon this. People have been screaming this for years. We just haven't heard them. And the reason we haven't heard them is because religion put us in a box and said, you better not listen. You know what I'm saying? But now outside of this box, we're starting to see things and hear things and pray things and receive things we never did before, right? And so today, if we could see it right, if we could see this right, Yahweh is trying to shift not just our, but through us the globe's perspective of who he is. Let me just give y'all some prophetic stuff that we've gone through as a church because I guess this is this and next week is our four-year anniversary Sunday. So when we started. In Acts 2.17, one of the verses before it gets to young men will dream dreams and uh, your young men will see visions, old men dream dreams. Before that, um, or right after that, excuse me, it talks about the the moon being turned to dark, right? And uh, two months before our first service, we had the solar eclipse, which is really cool. That's not what that verse is talking about, but I believe it's the prophetic, the Lord saying, hey, wake up, okay? We had, uh, in 2019, a huge prophetic word about... um, God raising up apostolic chiefs in in America. In um, 2018, we moved to this building, and this building, as much as you know, we we sometimes get annoyed by the situation. But this building is called Christ Central, and it's in Hope Plaza, which is really interesting. I think um, we've had the past year and a half of COVID which is not from the Lord, but the Lord has absolutely used it to shift some things and kill some things that need to be shifted and killed, right? And what we started in September was the year every seven years in the, on the Jewish calendar is the year of Shemitah, okay, which is the year of release. It's the Sabbath year every seven years, and that started in September. You remember how the Lord has been so pointing at September for us? September is started for a year, the year of Sabbath rest for the land, right? And the year, the word Shemitah in the Jewish means the year of release. And it's the year that the economic, the economy, uh, is flipped on its head. All the rich people who have a ton of money that can afford to have crops all the rest of the year, on the year of Shemitah, they leave their crops alone, and everybody in the land can come and feast off of their crops, even if they don't own them. It's a free-for-all, right? It's, it's a year where everybody is put on the same level. And so every seven years, they have a year where everybody's put on the same level and everybody starts over again. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just unbelievable. That's what started in September. So a lot of stuff moving and shifting around us. And with that in mind, I want to read John 1 because I want to really, really hone in on who Jesus was and, and the implications of this, specifically as we're about to go into Thanksgiving and Christmas. So... Y'all good? Okay, awesome. Let Let me tell you about John real quick, and then we'll read it. John wrote this gospel, check this out, 60 years after he had last seen Jesus in the flesh. 60 years. John, when he wrote his gospel, was in his 90s. He spent the last 30 years or so of his life in Ephesus. Um, which is really interesting because if you read the book to Ephesians um, or the book of Ephesians, letter to Ephesians, and then you read John's writing, there is so many similarities. Or if you read the letters Paul wrote in Ephesus that he sent other places, there are so many um, connections between John and Paul in those places, and that's because John, for the last 30 years of his life, lived in Ephesus. Can you imagine being around John for 30 years if you lived in Ephesus? Being able to hear the guy that laid his head on Jesus' chest, like... Probably insane. Anyway, the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, had been written 30 years before John. 30 years. Okay? So John, now being older, he sees that already this was becoming something slightly off of what Jesus, who he laid his chest on, had revealed. So he doesn't bother giving the natural lineage of Jesus like Matthew and Luke. He doesn't bother saying that Jesus came from the line of David. Matthew and Luke, and it's necessary, like we need that. But Matthew and Luke are very specific in making sure they trace the lineage all the way down to prove Jesus came from the line of David because that was the prophetic word. He was going to be of David. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to be born of a virgin. So Matthew and Luke both take the time to make sure we know that that actually happened. But John... 30 years after Matthew and Luke is saying, we're missing this, we got to go back further. So I'm not interested in proving to you if he came from David. I'm interested in proving to you that he is God. Okay? He goes back to explain and speak on the origin of who Jesus has always been and to ultimately, because of that, remind us of who we've always been. Okay, in the beginning, when he says, in the beginning was the word, is John saying, before there was a natural lineage, Matthew and Luke, before there was anything to write about Matthew and Luke, the word was there in the Trinitarian spin, okay? The word is both the external source, or excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, the word is both the eternal source and the eternal destiny of everything, so the word is. And it is so key that Jesus is the Word of God. It, it is imperative that Jesus is the Word of God. The Bible is a word of or about the Word, okay? Which is, I mean, like, are y'all good with that? You know, I mean, you don't have to be. It's just, the Bible is a word of God, or it is a word about the Word of God, but Jesus is the Word of God. That's massive. We have said this is the word of God, and we try to get Jesus to cram his way into our King James understanding of the word of God. But this is just an unveiling of the word of God, which is Jesus. The Bible is not what God has to say about him. It's something God has to say about himself, sure. But Jesus is exactly what God has to say about himself. You know what I mean? Okay, so that's huge. That's huge. He is what God has to say about everything, including himself and us. Jesus is the original thought and the eternal revelation of God with us, and God in us, and who we are in God. The Bible is the story of how we started in the Word, lost our minds, tried to find ourselves, tried to become a Word ourselves, and how the Word we originated in became our humanity in order to turn the lights on to who we really were in the very beginning. But all of that is simply a revelation of the Word, Christ Himself, in whom Father and Spirit also dwell. So when somebody says, as I've been saying lately, is the Word of God infallible? Absolutely, and His name is Jesus. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 brother, I'm talking about the Bible. I mean, it's amazing. The Bible is a great unveiling of Jesus, and I love this book more than any of y'all, I promise you. But the Word is Jesus. What does God, when God, what does God have to say about Himself? It's not John 3.16. That is something God says about Himself. But what God has to say about Himself was the first breath of the baby incarnate, Jesus. Okay? So, John 1... That's gotten me in a lot of trouble in the past, but people don't really say anything about that anymore, so that's okay. John 1, I'm going to read this from a couple translations, I think, but let me read from the beginning. I'm only going to go to verse 14, so not that much. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. I hate that translation. It's not even right, okay? But I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Um, He was with God. God in the beginning. Let me tell you why now. Uh, I'm with all of you in the room, right? So Tim and Hannah are sitting right here. Um, and Hannah and Tim would say, like Hannah would say, I'm with Tim right now because I'm sitting beside him. Right? This, that is not what this word is. In the Greek, that word is face to face. It possibly could be mouth to mouth. Okay? So Jesus wasn't just hanging out with the Father. What John is saying is he was face to face in intimacy with the Father in the beginning. Massive difference. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him or apart from Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it or has not understood it or cannot comprehend it. Okay? Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Really interesting. He himself is not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14. The Word became flesh, that's human nature, and made his dwelling in us, not among us. That's not the Word. Okay? So, The word became flesh and made his dwelling in us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Let me read this in one more translation. If I got time, do I got time? Thanks. So John one, I mean, y'all know I was going to do it anyway. So um, it's Halloween. I mean, y'all got, y'all got plenty of time. Uh, I'm just playing with you. All right. If I could sift through all these notes real quick. Let me see. Right here. John 1. Uh, To go back to the very beginning is to find the Word already present there, face to face with God. The one mirrors the other. The Word is I am. God's eloquence echoes and and concludes in Him. The Word is God. Okay? Okay? The beginning mirrors the word face-to-face with God. The logos, which is the Greek word there, word, is the source everything commences in. He remains the exclusive parent reference to everything's existence. There is nothing original except the word. The logic of God defines the only possible place where mankind can trace their origin. That's huge. His life is the light That defines our lives. The darkness was pierced by this light and could not comprehend or diminish the light. Then there was this man named John, who was Jesus' cousin, we all know, commissioned by God. His mission was to draw attention to the light of their lives so that what they witnessed in him could cause them to believe. His ministry was not to distract from the light as if he himself was the light, but rather to point out the light source. A new day for mankind has come. The authentic light of life has illuminated everyone that, or that was going to illuminate everyone, was about to dawn into the world. Verse 10, Although no one took any notice of him, he was no stranger to the world. He always was there and is himself the author of all things. It was not as though he arrived on a foreign planet. He came to his own people, yet his own people did not recognize him. Everyone who realizes their association in him, convinced that he is their original life, and that his name defines them, God gives the assurance that they are indeed his offspring begotten of him. He sanctions the legitimacy of their son and daughtership. Verse 13, two more. These are the ones who discover their genesis in God beyond their natural conception. This is not about our blood lineage or whether we wanted or unwanted um, were a unwanted or wanted uh, child. This is about our God-begottenness. We are His dream come true, not the invention of our parents. You are indeed the greatest idea that God has ever had. Verse 14. Suddenly, the invisible eternal Word takes on visible form, the incarnation, on display in a flesh and blood person as in a mirror. In him and now confirmed in us. The most accurate, tangible exhibit of God's eternal thought finds expression in human life. The Word became a human being and we are his address. He resides in us. He captivates our gaze. The glory we see there is not a religious replica. He is the authentic begotten Son. The glory that was lost in Adam returns in fullness in Christ. Only grace can communicate truth in such a complex context. That's awesome. Um, This is a power phrase from the Greek original text, so I love that. But let me break down a little bit of this. So in verse 1, the word beginning is the Greek word ark which is first in order, place, time, or rank. Okay? Um, The word with, as I've said before, is the word pros in the Greek, and it means face-to-face. In verse 2, it's almost like John is saying, in case you missed what I just said, let me repeat this. Right? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. It's almost like, all right, in case you missed this, let me say this one more time. In the Greek... His repetition here would be linguistically saying, this is the point. So by him repeating it again, he's saying, this is about everything that I'm about to say is because of what I just said. Okay? So, that's verse 2. In verse 3 and 4, John is bringing us into this. He's bringing us into this eternal origin of the Son. Okay? He says, the Son is the origin of all things. This is huge. This is so important. If the Son is the origin of all things, which even Calvin agreed on, okay? Even John Calvin wrote that the Son created all things. So, I mean, when you got Calvin agreeing with everybody else, I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, if the Son is the origin of all things... Then we find our true definition and identity only in the Son, not in sin. Y'all good? If the Son is the origin of all things, that means we find our identity only in what we originated in, which is the Son. We didn't originate in sin. You know what I'm saying? Well, brother, what about all being born into sin? That's not in the Bible. Well, what about when David says, into iniquity I was born? That is not what David's talking about. David was an illegitimate son of his father, Jesse. All the other sons were from his mother, from Jesse's wife. David, all scholars agree, was from a concubine, which is why when Samuel shows up to anoint a king, David's not there. It's not because Jesse's saying, well, David couldn't be the king. It's because Jesse's saying, David's not a legitimate son. He can't be king, right? That's why he's not there. So when David says, into iniquity I was born, he's saying, by way of a concubine, illegitimately I was born, yet you use me anyway. He's not saying, well, bro, I'm just a bad old sinner, but thank God you used me. That's not what he's saying. And that's the only verse in this entire Bible that anyone uses as an argument for people being born into sin. That's it. There's no other verse. Well, well, what about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? But there's a comma at the end of that. There's not a period. And you've got to finish that sentence. What if you finish that sentence? Does anybody know? Because I've said it before. Does I mean? Yeah. You want to know what it says? He's, this is what Paul says. He says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See? Right there. There it is. Comma. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ. Uh Uh-oh. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if we want to chop stuff up, I'd love to chop stuff up, but we can't. So, you don't originate in sin. You don't originate in conception of your mom and dad. You originate in Christ. Which was the idea that you originated in Christ became incarnate when your parents became the instrument that God used to bring you into the creation. But your parents did not come up with you. Jesus did. Right? Which is exactly why the abortion argument is a huge thing for me. It's because we're not... I'm, we're, for me, it's not an argument about women's rights. You know what I'm saying? I totally get that. For me, it's an argument about there's something that has originated in Jesus that we're cutting off. And that's a, that's a very different thing. Right? So uh, in the beginning, John says, was the word. And through him in the beginning, everything was made. Not one thing that was made was made apart from him or else it hasn't been made. The early church fathers used to say this. The early church fathers used to say, If Jesus, if the incarnate word of God, Jesus, were to suddenly disappear, everything would evaporate. That's what the early church fathers used to say. Because all things not only came into being through him, they exist in him. Right? So if you remove the sun from the picture, you remove everything that exists within the sun, which is you and I and everything else. This is, I mean, this is, this is huge, okay? So I'm going to tell you why it's big in a minute. You and I were not born into sin. Our birth was an incarnation of an idea that was wrapped up in the sun in the beginning. You originated in God. So here we have two thoughts, right here in John. We have two thoughts. That Jesus is the Son who from the beginning was both face-to-face with the Father and equally God with the Father, number one. And number two, that you and I originate in that face-to-face reality in the Son from whom all things were made out of. Okay? Is this too much? Okay, so y'all just lied. Um, The Son must be the origin of all things. It's imperative. Why? Because when He takes on flesh to reconcile by way of our murder not God's, ours, by way of our murder to reconcile all things. He does so as the originator and head of all things. So when Jesus is being beat, all things are being beat. When Jesus is dying, all things are dying. When Jesus gets up out of a tomb, all things are getting up out of a tomb. Called your kingdom come. You see what I'm saying? That's that, Okay. So, the son must be the origin. Right? What was reconciled in Christ? Everything that Christ represents. Or, everything that finds its origins in him. In verse 3 we see, is all things. Okay? Okay. In verse 5... John uses the word light. It's the same word that John uses in 1 John 1, 1.5 when he says God is light and there's no trace of darkness in him. But listen to how John says this, okay? Dark, let, me, let, me, let me break down darkness real quick just as a reminder. Darkness is obscurity because it doesn't exist. Okay, Darkness is what happens when we live in an identity or way of thinking or way of living that in reality does not exist. So verse 4 says, his life is our light, right? Verse 4, it says this, um, in him was life, and that life, his life, was the light for all mankind, okay? And then in verse 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, okay? So it says, his life is our light. Our real and only identity is found in him. Our light, our enlightenment, whatever you want to call that, our way of living, our truth, is His life. But the only way that is a reality is if you go through the verse before that first, which is all things originate in Him. Which means, as Paul says, and I taught a couple weeks ago, He is the head of everything that came from Him. Right? So if everything has come through Him that is required for his life to be the light for everything that comes through him. Okay, But if darkness is what happens when we lose our way or we forget what is real or we live in a thing that doesn't exist, when that happens, suddenly we're not living in a new identity. We're not living in the only real identity. And that's a big difference, right? You being a sinner and you being redeemed but not knowing it is a completely different thing. One of those, God's ready to punish. The other, God's trying to wake up and say, you're redeemed. One of those, God hates. The other, God loves and is willing to do everything it takes to get them to realize that He actually loves them. That's the difference between what we've said about God and what is reality about God. The cross doesn't happen if God doesn't give a crap about us. Because if that's the case, just let us go into ruin. It's going to save him a lot of blood. No, the cross is an announcement saying, "Y'all thought you knew who I was like, but you do not." But I'm going to show you. And the like I said last week, and the Father saying, "I got your back," and the Holy Spirit saying, "I'm not going to miss out on this." I mean, unbelievable. Okay, so verse five. Our identity is found in Him. That's our origin. Jesus incarnate came to remind us of who we really are which is who He really is. His life is light. That's why His life is our light. And if we embrace His life, that light will shine in the lie and delusion and the darkness. And the lie and that delusion and the darkness will never be able to overcome it and will never be able to understand or comprehend or produce it on its own. Let me say this real, like, easier. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, and let me use the the right word, comprehended it. Okay? Why is that huge? Because in the darkness, in the darkness, we try to produce identity. Which is is exactly where you get the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Hey, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. Sounds good. Let's go eat. You know what I'm saying? So, So you being in the dark... Is you thinking, I can do something to be something. This is all review, right? When the light comes in though, because the light is our true identity and origin, when that comes in, suddenly the system that tried to reproduce that light before cannot understand that light because that light is reality and the darkness is not. Do you see this? So, His light shines in our darkness, and our darkness cannot comprehend it. Thank God. Okay? But then in verse 9 through 14, John shifts, and this is where I'm going to wrap it up. Matt, you can actually go ahead and come up here and play. In 9 through 14, John shifts from the eternal origins of the Incarnation Of that eternal word of Jesus. He shifts from there to the word becoming flesh. So let me just reread this one more time and then we're done. In nine through, and I've got a point to all this. I've just been saving it for the end. So y'all just hang with me. He says, after all that, the true light that gives light to everyone, okay? Remember what I just read, was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And children not born of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling in us and tabernacled in us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John, here's my point. John, before he writes, remember, he's 90s, he's, he's about to die, okay? 30 years after the other Gospels have started circulating. So everybody at that point that was a Christian, everybody would have known what Matthew had to say and what Luke had to say and what Mark had to say. They would have known that. Primarily... Mark, okay? So they would have known this. John sees that this thing is starting to look a little too much like Pharisees. That this thing is starting to look a little too much like the legalism that he came to free us out of. And he says, you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to write. And, and what most scholars believe is John never actually intended to write a gospel which is why he didn't do it until he was older. Most scholars believe that John was completely content letting the Word do whatever it wanted to do and not writing a gospel, probably because John didn't want to make a name for himself. But he sees that this has started, even in 30 years, going slightly off and he says, I've got to remind y'all of what this thing really is. But I'm not going to start with Joseph. And I'm not going to start with Mary. And I'm not going to start with Zechariah. I'm going to start before history ever blinked a moment. I'm going to start in eternity past with that word that we laid eyes on. The word that we encountered. The word that I laid my face on his chest of. That word was in the very beginning Face to face with God in an eternal spin. And not only was he face to face with God, he's always been God. And not only has he always been God, he is the origin of everything. Which means you were the idea of God found in the word before one word of Genesis 1 was spoken and in that spin God through the Son, was spinning something that looked just like him in the flesh in you and I that came to pass by way of the Son. why did he do that? so that when the sun became man the original idea of us was to become like God and we had so lost our way That in love, he said, the only way I'm going to be able to remind them that they're like me is if I become like them. And the word becomes flesh. But John goes all the way back to the very beginning so that he can look people in the eyes. And so that I, 2,000 years later, can look people in the eyes and say, you were not a mistake. You were not something that God just had a great idea about one day. You were something that was spinning in the Trinity from the very beginning. And it's illegal for you to look at yourself in the mirror and say anything other than you are the dream come true of God. And it's illegal for you to look at anybody else around you and say that they're anything but the dream come true of God. Jesus did not come and die so that we could have a bunch of denominational churches. Jesus came and died to remind every single human being of where they started, which was not in their sin, which was not in their addiction, which is not in everything they had done wrong, which was before they ever took a breath, God chose them in love, Ephesians 1. Ephesians being the place where John, the apostle, spent the last 30 years of his life. Now... How do I prove that? Because all the other gospel accounts put Jesus clearing the temple at the end. All the Go back and read the other gospel accounts. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the first place that he goes to is the temple. And he throws out all the tax collectors and he cleans the temple and says, My house will be a house of prayer. Right? All the other gospel writers put that at the end, right before the cross. John puts it in chapter 2. I I, I want you to see this. John puts it at the beginning. What we see, we see John 1, which is everything I just said. Jesus kind of calling his first disciples, talking about John the Baptist. We see Jesus changing the water into wine. And immediately John says, now let's talk about the temple. God had been present with his people, but the temple was no longer a holy of holies like it had been before because it had become so stained by the delusion of man. Jesus comes into the temple. It's not the first time because we know in Luke that his mother and father bring Jesus to the temple uh, eight days after he's born for circumcision and for the the sacrifices. So, So it's not the first time. But as an adult starting his ministry, he goes straight to the temple. He clears it out out of zeal for the house of the Lord. And he tells the Pharisees, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. They say, brother, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you think you're going to raise it up in three days? And John says, but the temple that he has spoken of was not a building it was his body and if it was his body it was our body and after he was raised from the dead his disciples remember what he said and they believed everything that Jesus had spoken so, so Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the first thing he does is he cleans out the temple why? so that Holy Spirit can come and dwell again and what does Peter say? our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit so in the beginning, John's saying, here's why Jesus came, to clean you out. And the reason he came to clean you out was because ultimately he wants to live in you. Do you I mean, do you see this? And then in John 14, 20, this is my last verse I'm going to read. This is what John says. And, and man, we should preach a lot more sermons on this. But in John 14, 20, here's what he says. He says, On that day... On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. On what day? The day our day, you will realize that I am in my father. And at the same time, you are in me. And at the same time, I am in you. Huh? My, How can we be separated from something that not only we're in, but that he's in? Do you, you see what I'm saying? This is much better than anything that we have ever dreamed and i'm telling you if we can grab hold of this and i I hate talking like this because every other church plant starts this is going to change the world i don't care about changing the world but i believe this has the power to change the world but i'm not talking about us having a big full building john martin luther was a nobody until basically he died so that might be the case and that's okay, that's, that's fine. I've got enough handwritten letters in my office. So if I ever, something ever happens to me, y'all go in my office, and my bottom drawer has everything I've ever written. So, um, And then go find you a publisher and make some money off that stuff. But, um, no, that was good. But, like, I'm telling you, if we could take hold of this, because what does our world need? Like, what do we need right now? Like, Columbia's having a, a, a mayor election on Tuesday, right? A mayor election. Like, right, well, brother, I, you know, if, if I've heard it once, I've heard it. Now, brother, I hope this person wins. I hope this person wins. I hope this, and I'm like, y'all, okay, that's that's amazing. First off, a mayor, I'm not going to do a lot. But anyway, praise God for him. We pray for him, love him. But, like, when, if, if we could just take hold of this, like we wouldn't have to preach messages on you, you bro, you should love your enemy, you should love those around you, you should be happy, you should have joy, you should have hope, you have an assignment on your life, blah blah blah. We we wouldn't have to spew all of this new age self-help inspiration stuff. We wouldn't have to do that if we just understood who we are. I'm happy. You know why I'm happy? Because before one word of let there be light, this was on God's mind so that I could be with him forever. I'm happy. That means I can trust him with my life. That means I can trust him with my dreams. That means I can trust him with everything because all of my dreams are nothing but a manifestation of his dreams. Right? That's why God is able to do more than... you could ask or imagine because everything you ask or imagine started in him. Let me say this. Uh, Baxter, uh, Wednesday, when I was talking to him, he said, um, and this was amazing, but he said, um, how many of the early church fathers' prayers, or he said, let's just even take John, let's take Apostle John. How many prayers that John the Apostle prayed do you think God answered? And I said, I don't know. I'd probably say all of them. And he said, you'd probably be right. And he was like, Now, we pray prayers that seem like they don't get answered. So, in the West, has God changed? Is the Holy Spirit not moving anymore? Is, you know, the reform buddies about cessationism, is that real? Is that true? Because it kind of seems like it. And he said, no, 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 no. What we miss is what Jesus said, which he said, I do nothing I haven't seen the Father do first. Okay. So when Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, he goes to there uh, to this pool, and y'all know the story. They had this thing. The angel would come and stir the waters, and whoever got down in the water first was healed, right? So this man was there, crippled, and, uh, and Jesus walks up to him. Now, just to be clear, there are tons of other crippled people there. This is where they come to get healed, right? But Jesus goes to this one man, and he says, do you want to be healed? The man says yes, and the man is healed. We don't have an account that Jesus healed everybody else. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But he did nothing he hasn't seen the Father do. What if we started praying, and instead of trying to twist God's arm to do what we want, what if we started praying to see what the Father has done so that we could, in faith... Remember, faith is seeing what's already there, right? So what if we did that so that in faith we could start doing everything and only what we have seen the Father do? Well, why are you praying for me? Because I've seen the Father and the Father has healed you. So I'm going to pray over you. Right? Uh, If you've got to scream and shout and pray for somebody 85 times for them to be healed, maybe you haven't seen the Father do it yet. Or we could say, I do nothing I haven't seen the Father do. And start living from the place of the Son. Do you remember when Jesus they go they go to Jesus and they call him good teacher and he says don't call me good the only one that's good is my Father. Do you remember that? Don't he lived in such a place he was equal to the Father. So by them calling the Father good, really they were calling him good. He lived in such a place of mutual submission to the Father, and of mutual um, humbleness to the Father. That every single thing that he did was in response to something he had seen his father do. Because that's where he originated. You and I originate in that. We need to start reading this thing and reading the gospels and seeing what Jesus did. And seeing who Jesus was. And start seeing that we're nothing but a mirror of all of that. So I'm just, I'm believing going into our fourth year. I'm believing we're we're gonna start we're gonna start seeing some big time stuff. And the reason we're gonna start seeing some big time stuff is because we're getting a clear view of the Father. And we're getting a clear view of the Father by way of a clear view of the Son. And we're getting a clear view of the Holy Spirit by way of a clear view of the Father by way of a clear view of the Son. So I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, I just want, I want us to continue this week, I want us to continue to not just pray the, that, that the Lord would reveal to us the depth of what he's doing. But I, I think we really need to start transitioning to like, what does this look like for us to live, be the first fruits of this, or of this for people around us? That's what, I said this a few weeks ago, that's what salvation is. When you, when you come into salvation, you're becoming the first fruits of what Christ has done on the cross by living it out. See what I'm saying? So, I am fully convinced that Jesus is the Son of the Father. Therefore, I am saved. Therefore, I'm going to live out my being fully convinced that Jesus is the Son of the Father and everything that he's done has been for reconciliation purposes so that when the one who doesn't know that sees my life and sees my belief in it, it becomes a first fruits of them saying, you're different, but whatever you got is something I need. Right? Right? It's not me giving them a gospel tract saying you need to go read the book of Romans and then figure things out. It's me saying, you are reconciled to the Father. Would you like to know what that means for your life? Um, one, one more thing. One more thing and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I promise you. Do you think, and I'm going to get in some trouble for this. How Do you think Veda at any point has to come to me and Jordan and say, will you be my mom and dad? no why because she was born our daughter but when she was a baby did she have the full comprehension of what me and Jordan being her parents meant did she even know me and Jordan were her parents there was something innately within her that said these are my parents she didn't know how to express that she didn't know what that meant And so her life experience for the past almost five years has been learning what it means to be the daughter of Jordan and I. Not convincing herself that she actually is the daughter of Jordan and I. Hello? We have spent 2,000 years just about in the majority of the church trying to convince people to convince themselves that they are sons and daughters of God when we should have been teaching people how to live because of the fact that they are sons and daughters of God. Veda has a freedom in her life knowing I've got a mom and dad that's got my back, right? How many of you know you would live completely different if you thought you were living to earn a spot in the family in being a kid by way of what you do? Seriously, seriously. What what if adoption into sonship, what if adoption into sonship and daughtership meant that you have to work and work and work and at some point the father is going to say, you know what? My family's going to benefit by you being in it. Come be mine. You know what I'm saying? Right? Of course that's not how this works, but that's how we teach it. That's how we say it works. We say if you do this, and you make Jesus the lord of your life and you can fit Jesus into your heart you'll be saved safe from what safe from the earth I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying like, I mean literally I don't want to be saved from Earth I want to be the first fruits of earth being saved so I, y- y'all should that was a great spot right there to amen you know what I'm saying I don't I don't I don't want to be I'm not trying to get away I I got just as much heaven right here as I'm gonna get there I'm not trying to get away from here. I'm trying to be here as long as possible because i got people to tell that they are what they don't believe they are. I've got a lot of people, especially in religion, to convince that there is nothing you could possibly do with your hands to earn this. That it had to come by way of a cross and by way of the one and only Son of God because we could not do it. He actually rigged the system so that we couldn't possibly do it. So that he could do it on our behalf, so all we could do is receive what we've only received in the beginning, which is who we really are. We didn't make a choice of whether or not we should be born. We were just born. You don't have a choice of whether or not you reflect the image of God, you just do. You can't lose it because there's no other image. There is no other image in creation but the one image of God. Satan has no image. That's why we call evil darkness. And darkness doesn't exist. Do you know what I'm saying? There is no, you can't bear the image of Satan because Satan didn't originate you. You can only bear the image of the one you originated in. Veda can spend thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars getting plastic surgery trying to not to look like Jordan and I. But no matter how much money she spends, when you look at her, you're still going to be able to say, you're Jordan and uh, Josh's daughter. She cannot change that. There's one image that she's gonna bear the rest of her life, no matter what she does, and that's ours, mostly Jordan's. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This, the only image. We, we have got to start looking at our families as a testimony to who we are to God. Why, why haven't we done that? Like I have I have good parents, Jordan has good parents. Her parents are gonna be in today. My parents live two miles down the road. We just with them the other night. And at no point, at no point do we ever sit back and we say, I really gotta watch what I say, or else they're gonna kick me out of the family. I really gotta watch what I do or else they're gonna kick me out of the family. No. We live in the freedom that there's nothing we could do to get kicked out of the family. And in that, there is a freedom to just be us. And then the freedom to just be us, suddenly it creates a community of people who are real. And it, like, I don't know what church y'all grew up in, but our community was based on how fake you were. And if anybody ever found out how real you really were, you weren't in the community anymore. You know what I'm saying? I remember on, Lord, I remember on Mother's Day, we used to give flowers, y'all get flowers when you're, like, for Mother's Day? Did anybody else's church do that? Did your church do that when you were growing up? Yeah, okay. So, flowers growing up. And, um... So we would give flowers to the oldest mom, which was this same old day every year. And um, and then we would give flowers to the youngest mom. And the reason we gave flowers to the youngest mom was so that we could see which of the youth were doing things they shouldn't be doing. And so, of course, the youngest mom would get up. She'd be about 16, not married, still in high school. We would go up to the front. And you know what would happen? Of course, everybody, like, dear God, did you just, can you? My Lord, like you know what I'm saying? This is this, but but we got the hope of salvation, the rapture's coming. You know why? Because we don't have the guts to love people around us that got junk that is out on display. And if my junk was out on display, I promise you look at me the same way. We're just we're just better at hiding it. You know what I'm saying? But I'm telling you, if 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 that's the case, then y'all, we need to shut the church down. Because it's actually killing the world. I mean, could could the fact... Jesus says, if you were here at Revival, Jesus says to the Pharisees, He says, You better make sure that what you call light is not darkness. What is he saying? He's saying you need to make sure that what you believe is truth is not actually a lie, that you're pushing as truth, that people are believing is truth and selling their lives as truth when all it is is a lie. And you're creating person after person after person after person who thinks they're enlightened and they're actually darker than they were before. They were enlightened by the lie. Right? And so the problem with where we are now is we can teach truth every single week but because... All of us have been so ingrained in this darkened idea of God, the light sounds like lies. And the lies sound like light. So if I walked in here next week and I said, you know what, I've had a change of heart. Jesus actually did come to pay God off for our sins. A lot of you would sleep a lot better next Sunday night. You would. Thank God. Penal substitution atonement theory. I Actually, I've been awakened this week. It's legit. (laughs) It's never happened. But, you know what I'm saying? It's it's, it's legit. I was wrong. But, thank God. And this church will be filled again next Sunday. Sunday after, slam full. Be careful that the light within you is not actually darkness. And what Yahweh is doing in us right now, and I'm going to pray. What He's doing in us... Is he shining a light in us? What light? His life. Is our light and the darkness, primarily religion, cannot comprehend it? Because if it could comprehend it, it would try to reproduce it. This is a light you cannot reproduce. This is a light that you either are in or you're not in. But, but here's the deal. He died so that every single person could wake up to the fact that the light is shining on them. It's our job to make sure everybody knows the light is shining on them. So, let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for, just like I prayed in worship, that 500 years, 500 years ago, something was happening in Germany that would change the globe. And and I just, I wonder if 500 years from now that there's going to be people across the world saying something took place in America, the epicenter, the epicenter of religion in a handful of churches that had no significance on the outside, that were small That were just pockets of light. Something happened. In 2021. That set the globe ablaze. And that something was. Jesus. Saying in that day. You will know. The word know there. Is not faith. The word know there. Is something that you have experienced. And therefore know. In that day. You will have experienced and therefore know that not only am I in the Father, but you're in me and I am in you. And that revelation, God is love, God is light, has become the spark that set the globe on fire again. And I'm telling you, we're going to see the kingdom come in such a way that it is going to shake the systems of this world. But but it's not going to happen by way of us screaming and hollering. It's going to happen by us being convinced that we are who we are. You set the tone in Exodus when Moses says, when the Israelites ask me, who sent me, what am I going to tell them? And you said, you tell them I am who I am. And I just feel that inheritance this morning that when we look at ourselves, when we look at those around us, who do people say I am? I am who I am. For so long, religion has been I am not who I am. And what we're receiving right now is I am who I am. And so Yahweh, I thank you for that. thank you for this, this just amazing family that we have here. I so thank you for it, and I'm honored by it, and I'm honored to lead it. It's in your name that we all pray, amen.